test, test. Okay. Okay. All right. Is that good? All right. Somebody. Okay. Good morning, Village Church. I know it's very few of us up here, but we're going to speak. Good morning, Village Church. That sounds so much better. You guys look beautiful this morning. My name is DeMarco Teague. I'm an elder at the Village Church, giving honor to God, who's the head of our life and the author and finisher of our faith. Pastor Alex is out this, uh, this today, and we're going to have Mr. Bill to fill in for us this morning. I know he's going to do a wonderful, 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 wonderful job. <laughs> but uh, I want to take this opportunity to uh, welcome you guys But there's been a song that's been on my heart And I want to sing it a cappella this morning I know I change the thing just a little bit often when I come up here So I'm going to throw a wrench in it a little bit You can take this one off But it's been one of those things that's been going through my mind All week long about being thankful About what God has done for us And if we're paying attention Or if we're not paying attention, we're a little bit too busy And it goes like this how can I say thank you for all the things you've done for me? So many things you start to prove your love for me. And the voices of the many angels cannot express my gratitude. All that I am and ever shall be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. To God be the glory, to God be the glory for the good things he has done. With his blood, Jesus saved me. With his power, Jesus raised me. To God be the glory for the good things he has done. 
Just let me live my life and let me be pleasing unto you. And if I should gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the good things he has done. With his blood, Jesus saved me. With his power, Jesus raised me. To God be the glory for the good things, for the great things, for the awesome things he has done. Amen. And that song has been on my heart, so I wanted to share that with y'all. That's been a great song because I've seen God do some mighty things this week. And it's pretty much a part of my testimony that I wanted to say that I started like this trucking business. I was telling my guys from my small group about what he's done, how great he's been. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for your prayers because I started this business and it's finally it's moving. But I'm going to get into our announcements. Here are our announcements for October the 9th. I'd like to welcome you to the village where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. We are now using Linktree. This allows you to connect to all online information about our church, the giving of our tithes and offering along with our social media platforms all in one place. When you can scan your QR code located on the worship guide, please point out the location in your phone, I'm sorry, with your phone's cameras, you get a short link. When click, navigate to a web page with a list of every link that you would need concerning our church. Guest, we'd like to welcome you. Welcome, Kelly. <laughs> At the Village Church, we believe that giving tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and the mission of our church online, or you may mail a check to our address at 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville 35811. Or after service, you may drop off your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Today we welcome Bill Nash. Welcome. <laughs> uh, we welcome Bill Nash to our pulpit and we celebrate communion during our worship service afterwards. The, the Goodson Village um, uh, group will meet in, ch in the church house. We've got to save the date. The TVC Women's Ministry will be hosting a fall mini retreat on October the 15th from 3 to 7 p.m. Look forward to a time of, of a personal reflection, food, and fellowship. SEC begins October the 16th. These Sunday equipping classes consist of first steps from, for, for nursery age, village kids, youth, and, and a sermon discussion for adults. Afterwards, the Teague Village Group meets in the church house. That's my group. That's my group. All right. Pastor Appreciation Sunday is October the 23rd. An email will be sent with, with more information. On Sunday, October the 23rd, there will be a videographer and a pho pho photographer present at the Village Church. Some of you may know Deneen Blevins, I know them, who attends Southwood and leads Paracleo. No, Par oh, Par Paracleo? Say it. Paracleo, thank you, kids. <laughs> a minister for women involved in church planting. We will, we will welcome them here to record video and take photos, particularly of women involved in the church service. Celebrating our women. When you arrive, you will, you'll be asked to sign in a, a release form for your family, which will give permission for, the, for, for your image to appear 
in their promotional materials. If you do not want to be on camera, Deneen will give you a sticker so that you, if you accidentally caught on the camera in the background, we won't use it. This is a great way that we can serve this important ministry. So your involvement would be very much appreciated if you're comfortable. If you have any questions, please contact the elders. That's me. <laughs> October the 3rd, your youth are on a mission to collect food items for our, our ministry partner, HAP, Huntsville Assistance Program. Their goal is to collect 125 items. There's a list of food needed, a drop-off drop box in the church lobby. Mark your calendars for trunk or treat. I must say that one more time. Mark your calendars for trunk or treat. The date is October the 30th, 2022. The date is October the 30th, 2022. Time 6 o'clock p.m. to 7.30 p.m. 6 o'clock p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Location here. Uh, look forward to details on Flocknote. These will conclude all of your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Do you have another announcement, ma'am? Hey, my name is Elena O'Neill, and I have recently had the pleasure of joining the women's ministry team at, here at the Village Church. And I just wanted to give another announcement um, to invite you to our fall um, day retreat this Saturday, October 15th, from 3 to 7 p.m. And that will be at Jesse Spears' house. Um, we're going to enjoy some time of fellowship, some time of personal reflection, um, and dinner and a bonfire. So we really hope that you guys can come. Um, we have some more information back in the foyer on some little cards, um, and we've also sent out an RSVP over Flocknote, and we'll be sending that out again this week. Um, we've also uh, made some little cards with all the full schedule of Bible studies that we have monthly here at the church, and also our up upcoming events um, for the women's ministry, and those are also out in the foyer if you're interested. Thank you so much. Church, please stand with us as we begin our time of worship. Amen. I think you all know this song is called Oh Come to the Altar. How many of you know that we can come to Jesus no matter how we are? Amen.
time for our call to worship. Today's call to worship comes to us from Psalms 147, uh, 1 and then verses 3 through 5. I'll read the part that says leader and let's respond with the part that says people. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Everyone, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Amen.
Now let's have a time of prayer. Father God, we just want to say, take this time just to say thank you for your faithfulness and your commitment to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord God, when we weren't even thinking about you this week, you had us in mind. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have our end in mind, Lord, at the very beginning when you sent your son to the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give us when we don't even deserve it. We thank you, Lord God, for health, strength. We thank you, Lord God, when we're going through things that we can't see our way out of, you have the answer. We thank you, Lord, for being in control of all things, and there's nothing that ever surprises you. I was telling someone this morning, Lord, you say all the stars are there, all the galaxy. You, you've counted the dust of the earth. You know the hairs on our head. So whatever we're dealing with, Lord, we know that you are in tune, that you are aware. You're not lost. We thank you, Lord, God, you, that you got many ears to hear all our prayers. You probably hear, you're tired of hearing some of them, but, Lord, you are, your words say that you lean in a little bit closer when your children speak to you. We thank you for the joy that you've given us of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the excitement that you give us that we have hope and that we have a future. We thank you, Lord God, for we are gaining weight, meaning we are fed well. We have not missed a meal. We thank you, Lord God, that we have shelter when someone is outside and it's winter is coming and someone doesn't have shelter. We thank you, Lord God, someone to have food. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence in our life. Lord, if you don't do it, it will not get done. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. For it is truth. We thank you, Lord, uh, Lord God, that, that we know whenever everything else changes and fails us, we know that you stand true. We know that you stand faithful. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son who died. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. You may be. Now we'll have a confession of sin. Um, that would come from Hebrews 12:15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. This is a time when we sit back and we reflect on our sins for the week and ask God for forgiveness and the grace. I will pause. In a minute I'll come back and we'll do uh, assurance of pardon. Maybe... Let me pause. As always, God has always given us a way of escape when we have fallen short, and He is faithful and just to forgive us. And as a, that is really shown in assurance of pardon in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is, is a consuming fire. I read to you Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29. this next song, our brother's going to come in and read the scripture. Amen.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 20, 20, verse 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see, his, see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not have not yet, I mean, have not seen and yet have the word of the Lord.
No, wait, no. No no ministry moments. No, go ahead. <laughs> hey, everyone. Um, so thank you for letting me take over for a second. So just a couple things. Um, this Wednesday, 7 p.m. here at the church is going to be corporate prayer, like we do every week or month. And this topic is going to be singleness. So if you've never come, I really highly recommend coming. If you can't come, then you can join on Zoom. And we usually, if it's going to go anything like the past few months, we're going to have a discussion afterwards. That's going to be sort of um, free form, kind of on the topic. You can leave before that or after that, either way. The other ministry moment I've got to mention is something some of you have already heard through the grapevine, and that is this spring we are going to be starting a community church garden right over there in the the lot right next door if you've never seen it i recommend checking it out after the service it's amazing and um it's going to be a lot of fun um but there's basically three three goals with this i'm going to try to go quickly um but basically this is going to be an opportunity for us to serve the community with the produce that comes out of it it's also going to be a great resource that the community can use alongside us to grow their own produce and also, Lord willing, it's going to be a um, great way, educational experience for the kids of TBC and of the community to learn gardening, learn making food themselves at a young age, which I'm sure a lot of us wish we had when we were kids. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I mention it now because even though we're going to be planting in the spring, there's a lot of work that needs to happen there leading up um, through the fall and the winter. And so there's a couple different ways you can serve. First of all, if you're interested at all in any way, either you have questions or you would like to help in any way, there's no commitment at this point, but I'm going to be sending out a flock note this week with more information and um, with my contact information, with my email address. So if you want to reach out and let me know, that would be awesome. Like I said, no commitment yet, but I just want to get a good understanding of how much involvement there will be. So when we're planning the size and the scope of the garden, we can plan accordingly. Um, the other way is joining the garden, gardening team. So as of now, that gardening team just consists of me, which isn't enough. So um, if you would like to have a bit more regular schedule with it, like you're sitting there thinking this could be my ministry at the church. This could be something I get involved with. I help plan it. I help decide what we're planting. I help water, weed, take care of the garden on a regular basis. Please reach out to me again. I'll add my information this week, or if you have my phone number, text, um, text me or tell me after the service, um, because me is not enough. I'm going to need more people who are willing to serve in that capacity. So um, I believe that's it. If um, I know a lot of people are on fall break, so if I don't get enough people here reaching out or people over flock note, I'm going to stand up here again and let you know, because um, I, I definitely I definitely believe in this. Um, that's it for me, and I'm going to go ahead and pray for, for you um, right before we start. Okay, cool. I'll just do the sermon, yeah. You can go, you can go home if you want. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no. All right, please bow your heads in prayer with me. All right, thank you, Lord, for um, bringing us here once again today. I pray uh, for uh, Reverend Nash that 
You guide his words and that you give him your wisdom to be able to speak from your word and um, tell us, congregation, what we need to hear, what you would like us hear. Also, Lord, I pray that you give us um, give us the, the hearts and the ears to receive what he's teaching us and the courage to go out um, afterwards and actually live it out um, for this week on through our lives. Lord, please be with us. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Very good. Thank you. That's awesome. I love that. What does this say? Oh. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Okay. Um, all right. So, Doubting Thomas, right? That's the familiar text. Um, I do want to say this, that um, what do you do with doubt? I mean, what, you know, we're in this room here Probably the majority of us, I'm guessing, we're all followers of Christ, and there are some amazing things that we believe. Uh, amazing things have been done for us and through, you know, through uh, the finished work of Jesus. And there may be times when we doubt. And so, you know, what do we what do we do with doubt? Um, and Thomas is certainly he's known as doubting Thomas, right? So I think there's some things that we can pull from this very familiar story, um, and we can sort of even kind of go a little bit deeper and sort of understand what's what's going, even going on in our culture, because we live in a culture and a time now where there is, it seems like there would be a larger volume of people absolutely walking away from faith, and a lot of that was preceded by a lot of doubt. You know, a lot of doubt based on a lot of different things. And so as we think about how we are going to impact the rapidly changing culture, doubt is part of that. Uh, there is a, a sense where what we believe, people don't want anything to do with it. They've just, they've, they've stiff-armed it and they've moved on. I think it's good to sort of begin to understand that. And I think we can learn some things from Thomas this morning. And so before we jump into this, I was really thinking about uh, Thomas and what was going on as I read the text. And in the way my sort of warped mind works, I started thinking about when my kids were little. And my, our, my, our youngest is going to be 26 soon. And I'm not sure if this is even still a thing. But when my kids were little, Thomas the tank engine was like everything. Is that still a thing? Okay, cool. I, I really don't know. We don't have grandkids, so I have no idea what's going on. But um, when I would watch it with my kids, there was something that I thought was, like, just so crazy, right? Because part of, doubt is, part of doubt is that there are just some things that are really hard to believe, right? So when I was watching, and then, I don't know, maybe it's still the same way, but they had hosts that would host the different shows. And they was, he was dressed up like, I guess, like a ticket, a conductor or maybe a ticket taker or something like that. But the first one that I remember was a uh, famous person that was acting. It was Ringo Starr. Okay, we all know who he is, right? The drummer from the Beatles, right? And and I I, as my, I got to be I was starting to think that like, gosh, if I went back in time to like say 1968, at the height of Beatles fame, you know, and I went and told people around and said, hey, you know who Ringo Starr is? Yeah, the drummer, the Beatles, drugs, all that sort of stuff. In about 20 years, he's going to host a children's TV show. You would have found that really hard to believe, right? You just go, man, that is not possible. You're crazy, right? Now, the second host that sort of took over for Ringo Starr uh, is a guy named George Carlin. 
Do we know who George Carlin is, right? Famous comedian. In this, primarily during the 70s, he had a, had a height of his fame was because he came up with seven words you can't say on TV. You can't say them in church either, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what they are. But if I had gone back in time from that right now and back then and just said, guess what? That foul-mouthed guy is going to host a children's show. You would have said, man, I don't believe that. That is hard to believe, right? And there are just some things, and I know that's sort of warped way of just saying, there are some things that are just hard to believe, right? And doubt sets in. And truly, there are things that are hard to believe. Now, um, Thomas, in our, in our story, um, is a unique character. He shows up a few times. He's one of the apostles. But he shows up at a real critical time in John. It's at the very end of John. In fact, it's arguable that could be said that's, that was the ending of the story. But then there was an epilogue, which was like chapter 21. And uh, when we look at what he's saying and what happened around the time that he uh, was saying what he says in the story, we can start to ask the question, what do you do with doubt? Because we had to see what did Thomas do with his doubts? What was the context of his doubts? What was going on in his mind, possibly? And it might begin to give us clues what we can do with our doubts. And then how we can sympathize with the people we're trying to reach when they have doubts. You know, we're going to find out it's just not enough. It's necessary, but it's just not enough to say facts. Okay? So we're going to dig kind of deep into this, and hopefully I won't stray too far off. But I'm going to bring us full circle because we're going to get to the foot of the cross. Because we have to see the face of Jesus. We have to see what he's done. Otherwise, we can't do anything. We can't do anything in this world apart from having our hearts melted to the core with the truth of what Jesus has done. All right. So let's let's take a look. Let's start. We're just going to go over the text, sort of verse by verse here. Hopefully I've set this up. All right. So let's we're going to read as we go along. And um, we'll start with the, the first verse, 24 of John 20. This is what it says. Now, Thomas one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, I think I want to pause there for a second, because if we think about it, it says he wasn't there when Jesus came. Well, this was after Jesus had, was crucified, was buried, and he wasn't there when Jesus, in his full glory, resurrected body, shows up to the other apostles. So Thomas wasn't there. And I think that's an example of what can happen when doubt sets in. We can push away from the community of believers. We can walk away. I mean, there's so many stories of people walking away from faith because they, they don't know what to do with their doubts. And Thomas is just, his world has been rocked. The person he followed for, you know, you know two, three years died a horrible death. All his hopes and dreams died with Jesus as far as Thomas knows. And he's pushing back from the community. He's kind of walked away. Maybe to think it through or maybe just to say, I, I don't know what to think anymore. So he wasn't with them when Jesus appeared. So he hasn't seen them yet at all. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands... 
I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. So something to point out here is that when it says when the the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, um, the word told, it's like the the verb tense means that they continually told him. Almost like, hey, dude, man, we've seen him. I promise you. And he's probably, you know. Uh, I get a sense from reading this, and I'll show you in a second, that, that Thomas was sort of in and out, or maybe even just totally separated himself from the group um, and just uh, you know, had to walk away from it. And they would go find him, possibly, and say, man, I'm telling you, we've seen him. We've seen him. And he's just like, I, unless I can touch him, I don't believe you. Right? That's what's going on in his heart and his mind. In verse um, 26, eight days later, So there's eight days have passed. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now, I think it's interesting. It says that Thomas was with them. So as as readers of this, we have to say, okay, so this time he was with them. Maybe in those eight days he was with them. Maybe he wasn't. We don't know. know. We just know that Thomas's reaction to things was to walk away. i got to think about this. I can't handle it. Um, this has happened to the person I loved. I saw so much in this man, Jesus, and he's kind of walked away. Uh, but now he's with them this time. Although the doors were locked, the word says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And right, we know, we think about it, doors locked, Jesus shows up. Something has radically changed. Something has happened where Jesus can now just appear with locked doors, right? So now, so we're, we have to put ourselves in the mind of Thomas. He's thinking, these doors were locked, and then that's, that's Jesus. How is this possible? And then Jesus says, what does he say? Peace be with you. Those were his simple words. Peace be with you. Peace. Shalom. Go back to the Old Testament. Shalom was what was promised in the promised land. God's peace. And now has come. The, the word shalom is this idea that your well-being in the fullest sense, that your well-being in its absolute fullness, that all creation is experiencing shalom. That's, the, that's what Jesus is promising. And now with Jesus having been risen, right, from the dead, the, when he, Jesus says, peace be with you, it complements his last words on the cross when he says, it is finished. Now here's peace. It's finished. Here's peace. So on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin. In his resurrection, he breaks the power of death. That's that's what's going on in the scene. And Thomas is seeing this. He has yet to touch him. He hasn't done any of that. And this is what he is seeing and feeling and, and experiencing. And so when Jesus says peace, the idea is it's getting better. You know, it's getting better all the time. So I'm thinking of the Ringo Starr and the Beatles. I'm thinking of that song. Yeah, I must admit it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. That's what Jesus is coming to say. And then verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do you see what's going on here? So here's Thomas. Let's go back eight days. The disciples are going, man, dude, we just saw him. (laughs) He's here. 
And he goes, no, unless I can put my hands on his scars, I can put my hand on his side, I'm not going to believe. He's only told that to his disciples. Here's Jesus. He appears, and he says, it's almost like Jesus saying, I heard what you said. I know what you told the disciples. Because Jesus just says, go ahead, put your hands and touch everything. When Thomas was at the greatest point of his doubt, running away from everything, when God seemed like he wasn't there, he was there. That's what Jesus is saying. I am there when you're at the depths of your greatest doubt. I am there. I hear what you say. I see what you do. I haven't left you. I haven't left you. Um, I mean, that's just, to me, it's just incredible. Um, and so Jesus says, stop disbelieving. Stop believing that I'm not there. I am. Believe, he says. Believe. And so without Thomas touching anything that we can tell from the text, right? He says, it says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He's confessing. This is you are God. You are my Lord and my God. And so if you think about the, all of the gospel of John, remember how it begins? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word became flesh, it says later in verse 14. Now we get to the very end of John, and we have the same. It's, this is full circle. He's saying, my Lord and my God, the word has become flesh. There you are. This, you are God. You're, you're the answer to everything. You bring well-being. You bring your peace because you've you're finished work on the cross, and you've been resurrected. I mean, that's contained in all of this. Thomas is confessing that Jesus is God. And then look at the last thing. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We haven't seen. We haven't seen like Thomas, but blessed are those that believe yet have not seen. Okay, so this means that there's something more than actually seeing and touching the risen Jesus that makes all the difference in our faith. Makes all the difference. What is it? There's something else that's going on other than just facts. Hey, Jesus is risen. All very important. Getting our theology straight is so important. It's, you know, I tell people all the time, the hardest part is getting your theology straight after suffering has begun in a way that you never thought you would have. You know, you get your theology straight before someone you love dearly dies. You get your theology straight before that turn that you never thought would happen in your life happens. Because there's something deeper that happens with us that will see us through the challenges of suffering and disappointment. Because I think that's what Thomas was feeling for at least eight days. Absolute abandonment from God, disappointment. It's, it's the thing that people in our culture say all the time. How can a loving God do this? How can a loving God do that? Okay, so the thing that was missing that Thomas hadn't quite had yet was like an encounter with the risen Jesus. But see, we don't have to see him. We can have that encounter when we see the things that he's done and we understand the implications. And so that's what I, I want to talk about like right now and finish this up, okay? Um, because I think Thomas really does reflect how 
weak in doubt and how certainly the people that have rejected Jesus and their church and everything associated with it, why they're doubting. Because they look around in the world and go, how can a loving God be doing this? You know, as the things that, you know, we're experiencing now and around the world, you know, uh, the things that we thought really were never going to happen again, you know, war, anything related to those sort of things. We just pick up the paper. We're going, what is going on? Wow. Right. Okay. So Thomas wondering, how could such a great, innocent, wonderful man have experienced all that suffering? Where was God when that happened? Thomas was saying, in essence, unless I can see how something good is made of suffering, I will never believe. I think that's what's going on. I think the reason many of us struggle with our faith is this, that we kind of forget Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, that we live in a fallen creation, that things are broken, that there are things that happen now as a result of sin entering into the world. We forget that that happens and that along the way, this life is all uphill. It's very difficult. It's never easy. I think we have to get that part of our theology right. Now, you may believe theologically that we live in a fallen creation, but practically we do everything else we can to avoid suffering. Uh, there was a, um, a book that was written by uh, a former missionary. Yeah, this was a dude that was totally sold out, right? If you're a missionary, you walk away from, you know, this American culture and you go somewhere else, right? Uh, well, he lost his faith. I mean, he walked away from the church and he wrote a book about it. Uh, it was called Why I Believed, you know, past tense. Reflections of a former missionary. This book came out, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago. Now, he may have changed since then, but I, this is, I just was my recollection of reading this book and my notes that I took out of it. He came up with a list. Now, listen closely to this. He came up with a list of things that he says, the reason why Christians stay in the machinery of Christianity. And he uses those words. Why they tap into it, and they kind of turn their minds off, and the reason why they associate with Christianity. See if there's any truth in some of this. This is what he said. Number one, they don't want to die. They want to be free from disease, aging, and suffering. They want some being to be in control of everything. They want security in, in the overcoming of evil. They want cosmic justice, if not in this life, then in the next. They want to see deceased friends and relatives again. They want to be forgiven for the wrongs and mistakes that are committed. They want all the bad actions in this life to be redeemed someday and to be made right. They want all bad things to be reversed. They want a life free from conflict and full of love, if not in this life, then in the next. And they want a permanent friend, someone who is always available to hear our thoughts, someone to whom we can unburden ourselves, and they always understand us. They want someone who is always available to help us. All right? Now, that's this guy's list. Um, a big part of his critique of believers is this, that the gospel of Jesus lacks correspondence to reality. And believers never come to terms with that. Like they say, they, they, they're trying to avoid suffering so much that they kind of, we build our little Christian ghettos. We build the church. We try to protect our kids from so many things, right? We don't want to give them discernment. We just want to protect them. So we, we pull up stakes. We circle the wagons and we back away because it's bad out there. They don't want to enter into it. We're trying to figure out how to avoid it. 
I mean, we as, we as a culture live like no other culture in the world. Even at the lowest levels, it, it just it, it blows away anything else that the rest of the world sees. And yet, we're still, you know, still somehow just in denial that this world is just broken apart from the return of Jesus and the new heavens, new earth. Okay, and this is what he says. Rather than... From the perspective of one who has escaped the finely tuned, okay, rather, from the perspective of one who has escaped the finely tuned clutches, clutches of the Christian machinery designed to keep me in the fold, I see it primarily as a lack of courage, at least for those who have encountered good reasons for doubting. He was saying that there's so much that should be doubted, they lack the courage to face it. So he paints this bleak picture of us, of who we are. So again, Thomas saying, unless I can see you make something good of suffering, I will never believe. Okay? If I painted the picture, I think of what he's saying as typically we try to, we, we, are, we are known as people, possibly not this church, but we're known as people who want, are doing everything we can to avoid any kind of suffering. You know, get our 401k straight. We're, everything's cool. We're, you know, we're just figuring out how to do that. I fall prey to that. Now, one last little article before we bring this thing to a close and we get to the foot of the cross. So that's where we need to be. Uh, there was a Christianity Today article that came out maybe about five or six years ago. The author, uh, the title of it was called Saved by an Atheist. Uh, the author had lost his faith. He had walked away. Um, but he found, he found a way back in a really unusual way. He found his way back by reading uh, Albert Camus. Albert Camus was a French existentialist from the 40s, 50s, into the 60s, I guess, but definitely 40s, 50s. Uh, he'd written a lot of books. He had followed sort of the, 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 what, what Frederick Nietzsche had set up, this whole idea that if God is gone and dead, if there's no God, we have to be really careful because we have to fill that void with something, right? Because what Christianity did was put up some guardrails for civilization. I mean, there's some things. If you take that away, you got this has to be filled back with something. And Albert Camus said, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So he wrote plays and books. Um, and he was not a moral person in the sense of, you know, if you look at his life, but he said we have to replace, the into, put into the void right and wrong, even though he wouldn't think through and realize it's sort of a contradiction. If there's no standard, then what is right and what is wrong? But he said, ah, don't worry about that. He just said, we have to figure out what's right and do that. And so he wrote a book called The Plague. It was a novel. It was basically, and probably should have been, we should have read it during the height of COVID. But um, the, the thing was that there was a plague that had come into the world, and they had sort of separated cities and said, you know, there the plagues in that city, and the people need to stay in there, and we don't go in. So he was writing the book to say that where are the people, where are the heroes, where are the people that will enter into the suffering? Not trying to avoid it, not trying to set up this idea that, you know, new heavens, new earth, so it doesn't matter down here. But where are the people that enter into the suffering, that, that understand that this world is broken? And where are those people? And so his hero is a person and he follows it in. It's a pretty interesting book. And so... I think when Thomas was doubting about everything that happened, he was just feeling the loss on a tragic level, and the world just seemed like a big mess. 
just a big ball of suffering that there's no way that anything short of just pushing away and going, I'm just going to figure out what I can get for myself, and I'm moving on. So and in one sense, it's hard for us to believe that, um, you know, we all want to avoid suffering on some level. But here's the thing. This is, I'm going to close with this. I can get there pretty quickly if you just bear with me. I think I can tie this all together. The shalom that Jesus won on the cross for us is a peace that we take into a falling, fallen world. It's the peace that we take into the world. It's not a peace that we would just sort of withdraw from it and I've got my peace now. No, we take it into a broken world because the broken world doesn't understand true peace because we're looking for it. And it's a world that doesn't make sense because it doesn't have any reason behind any of the things that are going on. The shalom of Jesus is not for escape. It's actually for survival for us, for a world too. It's real truth and it's real comfort. And here's the thing. As hard as what we're experiencing, and in this room I know some people and I know what you're experiencing at some level. It's not forever. It's not forever. Um, as believers, we're not to avoid suffering, but we're to run into it. We're to be like the hero of the plague. We're to run into it. Well, let me tell you something as we close here. You can't do it. As much as we think about it, as much as we want to, we can't do it fully. But here's the good news. There is one who did. There is one who did enter into the pain. There is one who did enter into the suffering. There is one who gave up everything to do that. And you know his name. I know his name. I know the person who's going to set everything right in this world. I know his name. I know who is the one who can help make sense of suffering and then fix it forever. His name is Jesus. He didn't avoid suffering, but he ran into a broken, fallen world. Isn't that the truth of the incarnation? Isn't that our theology that we get straight first? The theology tells us that Jesus took, he emptied himself took on humanity and entered into it. And the resurrection tells us, in brief, what is always true on a grander scale, that Jesus, his resurrection, is the first fruits, the first fruits of what is coming for those who belong to Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, this is the first fruits. We look at him and we go, that's our future. That's our physical future. New heavens, new earth, shalom in its greatest order. It's coming, and it's the first fruits. It's the guarantee that that is what is awaiting us. So in the meantime, we don't escape suffering. We run into it because that's true. Not because you say, gosh, I'm such a, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. No. It's because that truth of what Jesus has done has washed over your heart and has made your heart soft to it. The gospel is the only way that we can go into the world in the manner of which that will bring glory and honor to Jesus. It's not, there are some of us in this room who are just type A's. 
They're like, I can fix this. I can do this. And they do it. They make other people like me go, man, I don't even think I'm a Christian at this point because I I don't even know if I want to go. But it's when the truth of the gospel of what Jesus did that that changes us. And so this is what makes all the difference. We can face a fallen world. We can sacrifice our comfort, uh, our preferences, our way, because Jesus shows us that it's not forever. That whatever you would give up, that there is treasure in heaven, there is a, a glorified body, there's a physical future, there's a new heavens, new earth, that we're really not giving up hardly much. I mean, really, you think about it. Um, John Stott, famous theologian, said, How important for our needy, skeptical, hurting generation that Jesus is recognized by his scars. See, we serve a God who wasn't aloof, who didn't push back. But he entered into it. He entered into the pain. That's our God. That's who we serve. See, the hardest part of living in a fallen world is fighting the urge to give up and run away, you know, for eight days. And just, just back off. Stiff on the church. Yeah, the church's fault. Yeah, you know, I have church hurt, so I'm out of here. Um, but think of this. The resurrection means Jesus has a body right now. See, when Jesus took on flesh, he took on flesh forever. And so he didn't just sort of jump into the pool of humanity, you know, go down to the deep end, hold his breath for 30 years, get in and get out of the pool. He took on flesh forever. He, the son of God, was permanently changed because of his love for humanity. He was permanently changed for his love for humanity. So if loving means for us, sacrifice, suffering, if loving means changes for you, that's all right. See, it meant permanent change for Jesus. If we just change just for a time, figure out, you know, Lord, that this is true and the truth washes over me, your Holy Spirit empowers me to live differently, to love people in a way that I maybe kind of think I would like to, but really are afraid to try. See, it's the gospel that changes our hearts, and it's the only thing that can change the world. And so Jesus entered into the suffering for a time that suffering wouldn't be forever. He took scars forever, so our scars would only be for a time. The resurrection and scars means that the fall is real. It really happened. That's why our world is a mess. It's, and it's to be faced head on without fear that any sacrifice is meaningless because the fall was real. Thomas saw the experience, the pain of what Jesus experienced, the loss, but then he experienced the joy of the resurrection. And we can experience that. Jesus promised. He said, you know, blessed are those that, I mean, Thomas, dude, it's cool for you, but, man, there are a group of people that I have in mind, you know, on October 9th, 2022, in this place called Huntsville, Alabama, in this tiny little place in the north of Oakwood Drive, and, um, and those people are blessed. Those people really are blessed because they have the Holy Spirit. They have the truth. And their doubts can be washed away and just totally immersed in the truth of the resurrection because it's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. It's the power that you and I need to go into a lost world. And so here's the deal. If I didn't make uh, the truth of the gospel as clear as I should have, the table will do that. We're going to approach God this morning um, because he came to us. Um, 
the truth of what is represented in this table. It's, um, we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And these are the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read them to you. This is the written word of God. I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So we say, I know it's said here, I know Alex does it all the time. If you're a Christian and you're willing to forsake your sins, we say if you're a baptized Christian, a member of a church, so you don't have to be a member of this church, you don't even have to be Presbyterian, right? We want you to be, but you don't have to. Um, But you're, you're part of some church somewhere where you've professed your faith. Uh, where you've said you're and profess your faith to others. And if, and if you're willing to live as he asked you to live, keep in mind this isn't for perfect Christians. This is for repentant people. In fact, one of the greatest things that we repent of is our good works. I mean, we are people that are just totally floored by the, what's, of what's been done on the cross to the point where we even say our good works are just filthy rags. They're nothing. Um, We are totally just broken before the Lord, and we receive the finished work of Jesus, right? That that he he overcame the sin of the world, right? He put the sin to death, and through his uh, resurrection, he put an end to death. That's what we celebrate. That's why this is for Christians. Now, the truth is, if this is something that you're wrestling with, and you don't know, maybe I don't know everybody in this room, but if you're here just thinking about it, you know, I just said that we are people who have, who have repented of our good works. Because we thought that that would, would make us uh, favorable to God. It's the truth that we embrace is this, that Jesus lived the life we couldn't and died the death we deserve. Now, rather than taking the bread when it's passed around, take Jesus. Receive him. Rather than taking the cup, Take Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we give thanks this morning. We truly give thanks. Uh, We want a heart of gratitude. Uh, Too often uh, uh, doubt will set in. Too often resentment will set in. Uh, And Lord, we are just grateful for what you've done. And we give you thanks for this incredible truth that's represented through these elements. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. Um, just a little bit of instruction. I'll make sure. Yes, okay. And Ah, okay. Um, this was emailed to me, so I'm going to say it right. I'm just going to read it. Uh, we will pass out the bread, and then we'll take it together. And then we'll pass out the, the cup and take it together. Included in this, because there's the bread and there's uh, the cup, but we also have kind of these um, prepackaged elements that are together. Um, so we know even sort of in our current environment, you know, if you feel and you know, don't want anything that might have germs or anything on it, 
um, that's available to you, okay? So when that when the bread comes around, that'll come around. Just go ahead and take that. But we're going to take the elements together, okay? All right. The Lord Jesus, on the same night, same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when, when having given thanks, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's pass out the bread. Um, so, okay. Um, is there another bread? Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead and um, we'll see who takes what, right? So, yeah. Very good. Now together, let us consider the life that Jesus lived and, and the death he died, the broken life of Jesus in his body. Mm. In the same manner, he also took the cup. And having, having given thanks as has been done in his name this morning. He gave the cup to his disciples and he says, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you.
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this truth that we can touch the elements and in some way get a sense of what awaits because it's a physical future that awaits us. And Father, one day when you drink from the cup, and you have at the wedding supper of the Lamb, all of us, it'll feel like home. It will, will, it'll be, feel like this but better. It'll be so familiar. And we'll, re- we'll rejoice in a way that we can only imagine. But Father, until then, give us the courage to run into the pain, the sacrifice for you completely in a way that would just astonish us. Because Father, we can't do it, but we know Jesus did, and therefore, we'll go. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Benediction. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, the peace that you need to run into a broken world with nothing to lose, prove, or protect. Amen.